Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm your host, Ian Carlos Crawford, and today I am joined by special guest co-host slash Scooby. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> it's Anthony Oliveira. I have um, showgirls Matt completely, so I'm taking over <laughs> while he's uh, incapacitated. Strep throat, I think you said? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. I think Poor it's like baby. strep throat and something else, too. Oh, yeah. oh well, <laughs> get well soon, but not too soon, because I'm taking over. Um, and today we have two other guests who aren't me. Uh, the first is James Tynan IV. Uh, he's a writer of Detective Comics. Say hi, James. Thanks for having me. Uh, and the second is Salvatore Nicholas, Buffy fan and political blogger. Hi, guys. So since you're both first-time guests, Salvatore, would you like to give us your Buffy origin story? Sure. Um, I actually started watching Buffy, oddly enough, on The Gift. That was my first episode. Oh my god, seriously. That's so, yeah. such a weird first episode. <laughs> I know. Well, I was, I was a, a big R.L. Stein fan as a kid, and by the time Buffy was on the air, I was starting to kind of get picked on for how much R.L. Stein I read. So I was like, <laughs> let's not... <laughs> Let's not add, let's not make me like the weirder kid. So I just ignored Buffy. Um, and one night uh, when I was in like seventh grade, whatever, whatever year I was in, in 2001, um, I was just flipping through the channels and I was like, this seems interesting. And I was about 10 minutes into the episode before they did a cutaway and was like, Buffy the Vampire Slayer will be right back. And I'm like, that's what I'm watching. Oh, Okay. And then it like goes and she, you know, she jumps off the bridge or tower, whatever you want to call it. And I was like, oh, so this, so it's, this is it. <laughs> um, and then I just happened that Sunday to like be flipping through a Best Buy catalog from the Sunday paper and saw the first season on sale. And I was like, mom, we need to go to Best Buy. And so I like, that's how I did the whole series on DVD. So I've seen the first season so many times. I can still quote the sound bites that they pulled that played at the beginning of the DVD when you hit play <laughs> to just watch it on repeat until the second season came out. <laughs> Did you just say you were in grade seven in 2001? Yes. I'm going to key your car. That <laughs> <laughs> How dare you? <laughs> I graduated from high school that year. Jesus. Jeez. <laughs> oh, uh, and James, what about you? What's your buffy well, origin? I'm another baby. I was uh, I was in eighth grade in 2001. Fuck. Um, oh, but <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, so I'm, I'm just mean, gonna it... be moisturizing for the rest of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> Anthony, we can do a Thelma uh, Louise after recording this. <laughs> uh, um, death, I mean, death the, becomes the, her. the big thing with me is I I definitely I missed the show while it was on the air. Uh, it was one of those things where it sort of was. It was too high up in the seasons uh, at that point, and like you know, I, I knew about it. I had friends who were really into it, and they would like show me individual episodes. But it was actually uh, my my uh, freshman year of college when I finally like I bought the first season DVD, and then literally like even though I did not have the money to do so, I went and bought all of the season DVDs, and I just watched the entire series through in. Uh, like in under two months and I was just like living and breathing Buffy for like two full months. Like I was missing, I missed some classes <laughs> uh, because of it. Like, cause it was just like, okay, how many episodes can I get through in a day and still be like uh, an actual human being? Wow. Um, 
So yeah, no, that was that was really how I, I kind of got into the whole show. And it was uh, honestly, my college did an actual event around uh, Once More with Feeling. And oh. I knew that I wanted to go to that. And it was like, I need to understand. <laughs> right. uh, um, and then that all really coincided. Season eight comics were coming out, okay. were mm -hmm. starting to come out. So it was okay. just like, put all of Buffy into my head and started living in that wonderful world. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so thank you all for being here to discuss quite the silly episode, Where the Wild Things Are. Hooray! <laughs> <laughs> I, I was telling everyone before we started, but for the latter half of season four, it's, a lot of our guests have been like, oh, that episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I have very much felt like season four is like my third co-host who's not pulling his weight and just giving me shit all the time. <laughs> So me. <laughs> <laughs> um, but so, you know, we start the, I mean, the beginning of the episode, I feel like is very telling to the plot of Adam where like the only bit of like the like bigger arc of the story is that we see a vampire and a demon working together. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, here you go. We're crawling towards the Adam plot. There's your one like piece of it. Um, and I wanted to How point, exciting. Right. And I wanted to point out that Buffy's outfit is like a lot. She's wearing a chunky cable knit turtleneck sweater with like white snakeskin leather pants. Yeah, um, I like weren't it. Weren't they though. sparkly? Like, weren't they I also couldn't... sparkly pants? <laughs> they... Shiny. I, don't, I don't think it's a sparkle. I think they're just like pleather and just reflecting a lot of light <laughs> yeah <laughs> it looks very itchy like it looks like her top half would be very itchy and her bottom half would be very sweaty like it's not <laughs> it's not an outfit that i think would be fun to wear but i'm a big fan yeah um, it's it's very uh buffy um i mean I and was riley thinking... is still wearing his like camo stuff right yeah, yeah riley's, right. riley's riley um, riley is, is... buttered toast <laughs> <laughs> um is this a thing, this, like, demons and vampires? Have they ever said this before? Like, I don't recall this being a plot point until now, that I, th they don't work together. Um, you know, that's actually a good point. I don't remember that being, like, explicitly said. They have, like, there have been mentions in, I, I want to say in season two, like, when Angel takes over, but they do mention, like, that most demons look down on vampires yeah but like what was it what's the what's the big gelatinous but thing Balthazar, yeah he had like yeah. a vampire cult worshiping him yeah that's right um and i feel like there's there's another instance of like someone either being run by something that's not a vampire or with vampires under them I'd, yeah yeah like it feels like a vampire is like a good foot soldier but i've never yeah. heard like a like it feels like we have like this new part of the mythos that we're now going to like it's like supposed to be unusual that this is happening even though it's happened plenty of times before like that was strange to me yeah right <laughs> so. like it's not anything that shocking it's not the like plot point they want it to be like it's like right. oh okay sure like I don't like know. we just saw them all hanging out in a bar together like yeah. two episodes ago <laughs> <so>. <laughs> yeah and Willie's place they yeah. all hang yeah. out together at Willie's um and then like it's weird because then Angel kind of just that's not a plot point at all it's like oh that yeah, happens all right. the time in angel um right right so we get the buffy makes the joke of you get pointy i'll get horny um which is kind of just sums up the whole episode i guess right like 
I was like, I think I yeah. like, really rolled my eyes at that, but I kind of love it, but also, yeah. Um, I have a question for all of you. Do we think the nonstop sexathon is like crazier because of the house or like the house becomes crazy because of, cause they kind of say later that it's, oh, their okay. sex made well, the house <laughs> happen. I don't know. This is this is my first question. First of all, I want to say I was just like glancing over my my notes as we were talking, and halfway through, one of them that I made was, "It's so hard for me to pay attention to this episode." <laughs> dot, dot. Um, I don't know what's going on at that moment, but I was apparently I had zoned out. Um, I I don't. First of all, I don't understand how you know this like UC Sunnydale is that it exists. Mm-hmm. Just. When we were first introduced to Sunnytale, they call it like a one Starbucks town, and then suddenly they spent <laughs> right. the University of California. But they also are large enough that they started acquiring local properties, which is also mm. very strange to me. And then it's a frat house, and I get that it's like a military frat house, so they have a little bit more like rules and restraints. But like a college frat house would have already experienced uncontrolled sex like <laughs> right. right yes i was I, I have that specifically that in my notes that like there's no way buffy and riley were the first college students to have a lot of sex in that frat house right unless right. it was, unless it was something like oh because of her slayer power it brought it out but uh, then it's it, this episode should have been like then you a big need to say it yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not it's too much of a story i don't know um i also think this episode suffers from being um I mean, I, I, there's there's interesting things to say about it, but it, it suffers from being the second haunted house episode in this season. In the season, uh, yeah, yeah, and the first one is so good, right? Like, yeah. here itself is like an amazing, well built little episode, and this one is retreading a lot of the same plot points, like a lot of the same spooks, but it doesn't have nearly as many cool effects. It doesn't have nearly as much. I think it's also like at a script level. Um, I guess we're jumping ahead here, but we are Anthony. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll I will obey Ian's schedule. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that was like my thing. I was like, is it because of the, those poltergeists would have already been in the house, right? They already existed, so like, w- wouldn't they have? I don't know. But also, the ex- this the whole plot like, of this episode is basically the plot of the Grudge. Oh, is it? I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, okay. have you guys not? Have, wait, have you, any of you seen The Grudge? I, saw I it have, like but I'm trying out. to like. In I don't remember The Grudge being all that sexy. Well, no. It's, uh. So <laughs> instead of so the way it happens is that like Sarah Michelle Gellar's at this house and she's like a caretaker for um, Sarah Palmer's mom or Laura Palmer's mom in the movie. That's like her, the old person she's taking care of, and the house is haunted by poltergeists that aren't ghosts, but they're, like, these children that were abused, and it's, oh, like, really? the angry presence of that are, like, right. formed of ghosts, um, and it makes the house haunted and then kills everyone, um, and it's not that great of a movie, but it's kind of, like, the same pre- premise, right? Like, just minus the sex. Um, so, so then we can talk about um, Xander and Anya and the ice cream truck. I really like that scene. <laughs> Is this the first time the ice cream truck has shown up? Yes, I like, think they mention it in another... I think they mentioned it before. I can't oh, remember if they okay. mentioned it in passing in the next episode or they mentioned it in passing in the previous one. Uh-huh. Um, but it's the first time we see it. And it's the first time we see him in his ice cream outfit. It's such a <laughs> that sexy paper hat. Oh, God, I love it. 
uh, and this is uh, it will, will the next time we see it be in Restless is yeah. that the whole thing it, it's almost like they put it in here just so they could use it in Restless <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, it's, it's fun to watch like Xander's uh, sort of <laughs> fall from grace here like his jobs just keep getting worse and worse this being <laughs> is this I guess this is the last one we'll get before the climax yeah um uh, yeah, I don't. Okay, so this like episode is. I'm just trying to think about. As I was watching it, I was trying to think like, well, what's wrong? <laughs> what's wrong with this episode? Like, why isn't it working? Why is why is Salvador having so much trouble concentrating on it? <laughs> and, and I think I was like thinking about. Okay, well, it's by Tracy Forbes. Um, she wrote this one. She wrote Beer Bad, oh. and she wrote um, Something Blue, and that's it. Like. She never wrote again for the show for whatever reason. And it's like, do those have anything in common? And I was like, well, they're kind of all about, like, um, like suppressing things. They're kind of all about, like, yeah. uh, dealing with trauma badly. <laughs> um, but they also kind of, they also have the same kind of structural things going on. Like, this one seems to be about sex, right? Like, every plot is about sex. Anya and Xander aren't having sex. Right. Uh, Buffy and Riley are having too much sex all of a sudden. <laughs> and I think the reason this episode doesn't have an engine is because it should be about Willow. I think this should have been a Willow episode. Yeah. Because Willow is the one who is suppressing something right now, right? Like, yeah. she hasn't dealt with her Terra stuff yet. And instead of build and like next episode is going to be where it like explodes. Um, and it would have been nice to have this episode center her more, like have her deal with the fact that she is surprising. Instead, we just get that one scene where she touches Tara's hand. Um, and so yeah. the episode sort of sputters, I think, because of that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I So of the bad season four episodes, I think this one's at least like silly enough. Um because I, I feel like we get a lot of Anya, and I love Anya, so that's where this episode gets a little bit more of a pass for me. Um, like, I really like the scene in the ice cream truck, and I feel like I often find myself relating to Anya. Um, and I'm like, I feel like this is a conversation I would have. Like, you didn't have sex with me, like, two days in a row. You don't love me anymore. <laughs> like, one of the interesting things for me is that there really isn't, like, except for, like, part of the reason I think that the Anya thread of this is, and I, once again, I know I'm, I'm jumping, I'm jumping ahead of a little, but it's, like, uh, the fact that the Anya thread introduces Spike, who can actually make fun of the ludicrousness of what's happening, mm. like, is part of what makes that thread, like, one of the more interesting in the episode, because a lot of these threads are so, it, I think part of the issue with it is, like, a lot of these are, uh, like they're not it's not actually that complicated and it's not trying to make a statement about like too much sex like it obviously doesn't mm -hmm. want to say like you shouldn't have too much sex <laughs> or you should like it's not right. like it isn't trying to really make a statement and therefore i i completely agree i think the willow terror thread would have been would have really elevated the whole thing and given it a kind of emotional heart because otherwise mm -hmm. it's just sort of a bunch of subplots on the same theme that don't yeah. really add to anything and, and is, Buffy has is, nothing to do at silly. all. Yeah, like Buffy, all, she has one thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> um, like if she had, okay. So another way we could have like put a bit more of an engine in it is like Buffy is so new to sex. Like the previous episode, we saw her. Right, the previous episode was Superstar, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so last episode, the anxiety that she was processing underneath the spell was that 
Riley has just slept with Faith in Buffy's body. And Jonathan puts his finger on the fact that she probably has anxiety because Faith is more experienced than her. So it would have been nice. Another way to sort of bring this plot, put some energy in this plot, would have been to give Buffy anxiety about, like, learning what a healthy sex life might be like. Because she's been, she slept with Angel and he left. Uh, and he went crazy. She slept with Parker and he treated her like garbage. And it would have been nice if this episode had been about like, no, you can have a healthy sex life. Like the poltergeists could have like helped her. That could have been the plot she was processing. But she has so little to do other than like she wants to fuck Riley and she fucks Riley. And then at the end, they're like happy that they had sex. And it's like, well, then what was the story? Like in a sort of spectacular way, this episode lifts out because nobody is processing anything in it except for the Xander Anya fight. Yeah, um, which once it, but still ends at the same place where it begins. It's like yeah. they kind of just like you know, like it, they get over it. Yeah. Like, yeah, without anything actually propelling them to get over it, other than well, I guess this other really bad stuff happened, so I guess our fight wasn't actually serious. Right. Right. So, so we are getting off track, Anthony. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I knew you were getting riled up. <laughs> um, so I wanted to point out that. I don't know how you gentlemen felt. The scene in the ice cream truck almost felt, and I wasn't sure if it was because it is featured heavily in Restless, but it felt very dreamlike. I mean, I really love the scene, but it felt because normally everything's on a set or like on a set in like on a campus or quad or whatever um, outside. And it was like in a truck that's on a random street. That's not, doesn't look like anything we've seen before. Um, And the music it's also very like surreal as an image. <laughs> yeah, right. And the music playing like it felt it almost felt kind of dreamlike, which I feel the episode kind of does at points. Um, you know, um, Anya's Anya's upset that they're not having sex. And I really do appreciate that Xander's big like puffing his chest. I'm a man moment is undercut by the fact that they're in an ice cream truck and there is fam. There are families waiting outside to buy ice cream. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good, like, comedic moment. Um, and I do wish we could have gotten more of Ice Cream Truck Xander. Like, I would have liked lots of scenes of Xander and Anya in an ice cream truck together. Um... In his little paper hat. (laughs) Yes, in the paper hat. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, when they're, they're, like, in the common room, I think in the dorms, discussing, like, oh, the vampire and that demon work together. Oh, it's Adam. Um, and then they rush off to like have sex it feels very mm. absurd but also i love like i think it's allison hannigan's delivery because sometimes when she like does her little laugh it feels like it's almost allison hannigan coming through and she's like i think they're they're probably going to and giles is like yes i know i get it <laughs> i do like that <laughs> <laughs> she compares adam to martin luther king here which is a very odd yeah beat. no that i i definitely wasn't I, I was just i just sort of sat with that one for <laughs> yeah. a second. i'm like I don't think that would be in the uh, um, in yeah. the contemporary reboot. Right. Even uh, she, so does, she clearly doesn't feel great about it. Like, yeah. <laughs> it. Um, although it does give you an interesting like sense of what they were imagining the Adam plot looked like. Like this like thing that its optics never quite achieve of like Adam as messianic figure is never quite a plot line that um, just because of the nature of the way the season pays off. We never quite see him as this like semi-religious figure it seems that he's supposed to be for this like unification thing that's happening it's funny we're talking about it this week because he gets compared to tony robbins when spike meets him Um, (laughs) oh my god really yeah spike (laughs) like spike meets him and he's like oh you're like tony robbins uh 
you're because he's uniting all these people. He's like, wow, you're like a motivational speaker like Tony Robbins, except he's not a scary Frankenstein. You're exactly like Tony Robbins. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And like, it's interesting to see these glimmers of like what Adam was conceived to be, you know? Yeah, I mean... It's also insane that, like, we are so close to the finale, and we don't even see Adam in this episode, and they're still, like, crawling towards whatever they're trying to get at with him. And it seems very unlike the show, because it feels like, at the very, like, usually they have it very plotted out with the villain. Mm. But sometimes they'll, like, meander a bit mid-season, but usually the villain arc is very much there. The one thing about most, or I, sh- I guess I should say the, the three seasons that preceded it, um... The overarching villain storyline always seemed like it came first, and then they like saw how many episodes they can make out of that, and said, "Okay, we need six more," and came up with like the monster, the baddie of the week things. Mm-hmm. That and season four has always felt like they wrote all the independent episodes, or like all the independent episodes that didn't fit in other seasons were finally because Joss had left to do Angel were finally like up for grabs and they threw them all out and they were like now what villain can we weave into this mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah no I episodes. I totally agree with that <laughs> and of- part of that is like a part of that is just the nature of the way the season was structured right like Lindsay Krause left and it's like yeah. well the second half sort of spun but also I think it is a sort of like, it was always going to end with Restless, right? Like, it was yeah. always a season that prioritized its individual. It was, like, it has the big one-shot episodes in it, Restless and Hush. So it's, like, it is prioritizing its one-shots over its season arc. Um, yeah. I think that this episode has the problem that the season has, which is that ultimately the story doesn't have a lot to do with Buffy. Like... This episode doesn't have a lot to do with Buffy, and Ad- the Adam arc is really about Riley. I don't think it has... Buffy has done her arc with the initiative at this point. She has faced the evil mother figure. She has rescued her man, and now she just has to repeat that logic again. Like She has no personal ties to Adam. There's nothing she has to learn from Adam. Whereas the mayor was teaching her something about rejecting patriarchy, whereas Glory is like this negative flip side version of her. The initiative is not really her story anymore. You yeah. Know? I mean, yeah, it's um, Kirsten White actually pointed this out on our Jessica Jones podcast that we did, where lots of times that like if the story can exist without the main character, then why is the story on the show? Um, mm. And I feel like that very much applies here. Um, yeah. And like it and I, I think I for, I had forgotten watching this episode that the frat house they're in is like I thought it was like like fear itself or it's a different frat house i forgot it was the one that riley lives in (laughs) yeah so it it is really bizarre that nothing has triggered any of these like older guys before but then on top of that it is something where we have like you know it like there is a way to have fun in an episode that is clearly meant to showcase all of the secondary characters and see sort of where they are and kind of you sideline the the lead of the show of, of the show and then you let all of the other characters come to the foreground but mm-hmm. i think in order to do that you need to say something and yeah, i think yeah. that that like that i know i already said that but <laughs> like that that's really what it comes down to uh like in this episode and sort of seeing like what it's doing and i you know i like individual parts and i want to get to the part with mrs lanningham from the west wing <laughs> uh because that was fun uh, well, the, but, the, yeah. the great example of what you're talking about is the Valentine's Day episode from season two, where Buffy is a rat the whole right. episode. 
but we're now dealing with like Cordelia and Xander like they get foregrounded as characters and we have to process what they're going through um while while Oz is chasing Buffy in the basement right yeah. <laughs> like, um so it can be done and it feels like this was sort of conceived that way and it just feels like maybe Forbes isn't super comfortable with really the voices of the other characters like I don't know if that's what it is like I don't get a sense of Xander is mildly irritated. That's like the full deal of his <laughs> arc here. Like there's no moment like I forgot until I rewatched it that Anya and Xander literally break up in the middle of it because it doesn't yeah. it doesn't hit like it means something. Like you right know now. that it's just for this throwaway episode. Like you know that it's yeah. not anything serious. Um <laughs> and like you can feel the furniture like creaking a little like there's moments like spike shows up at the party but he has nothing to do at the party after he like squabbles with xander so he gets tied up yeah and he just he... sits by the keg and yeah <laughs> yeah and then he leaves like he he has a cute line on for his exit but he's not there for any reason you know like earlier, earlier in the season too they they have like so many moments where they they fight over who has to take custody of spike because they can't let him run around outside because the initiative will find him and then he waltzes into yeah. there <laughs> and doesn't leave. He sits yeah. down, has a beer, and watches the chaos unfold. And it's like no one saw this because they're too concerned with Buffy and Riley having too much sex. <laughs> and if it were if it were doing heavier thematic work, I could I could buy it. Like what would have been nice is if every character had a moment where we like understood what they think about sex. That would have been great. If like right. I knew how much Xander cares about sex versus a relationship. And then the nice thing would have been to have Anya and Spike have their great scene together, but it would have been nice to have that sort of like amorality that they bring to the table. Right. To sort of challenge like the more Puritan ideas that like Buffy as Prude has. Um, and instead these pieces just never quite meet each other. So I do. Do, do I, they ever even address uh, I'm, I'm sorry, th did they ever even address why, like, Xander and Anya didn't have sex for a few days? Is there a reason, or is it just, or is Anya just, like, is her arc in the episode actually just being unreasonable? Like, because that yes. feels like the wrong way to, like, I don't know, it feels like there should have been an emotional, like, Xander being like, here is this reason that, that reveals a thing about me. I, well, to, to go with that, it's a note that I made. Does Anya have a job? <laughs> I don't think so, actually. She always talks about like holding on to her money and stuff. That's actually a line that it's yeah. that's something as to Spike um, when he quote unquote mugs her outside of the bronze. But like, my specific note was like, where where are all of her clothes coming from? Because <laughs> <laughs> my ret retcon for this has always been so she was put into this body. For this mission and she's good with money so i presume she has like her own like magical spending account like she has like an amount that she gave herself for getting the cordelia wish but we learn later she's very good with money so yeah. she's just been investing very wisely her apartment is beautiful so, when we I, see it so wait a second the hoffren this this like all-powerful <laughs> hell beast whatever he is in the in the void with the spotlight yeah yeah who, in a few seasons from now, is going to just set Callie on fire just to, to, to like punish on you. Spoiler alert! Sorry, everyone. <laughs> so yes. he he pays Anya with American dollars. <laughs> Listen, I I picture <laughs> it like Gringotts is from Harry like Potter. Capitalism subplot, like or sub subversive um, message. I mean, no, I, I I in my reading, I think he's. You got to think of De Hoffren as like. 
Anya is his like difficult but favorite daughter that he's like, right. she's trouble, but he's making sure she's taken care of. I think the other issue that I have with this season just in general is that Xander is like the only person who I feel is styled logically. Like <laughs> he looks like he's wearing the same like weird bowling clothes that he's been wearing from the first season. And I can like, I can believe that he comes from a family with not much money, that he never really, he like goofed around too much to have a part-time job. And now he's struggling to hold down anything decent. So I would believe he's not, if he's spending money on anything, it's on Anya. So, and, and I, I can see that being like buying her some clothes, but like not that many, especially since they're two hours in a freeway from Neiman Marcus. Like they're supposedly (laughs) nowhere to, (laughs) this is also the first season where Buffy is like a fashion icon every time she's on screen. So like mm-hmm. that full knit sweater with the pants, she only would have ever gone out fighting in that if she happened to be coming home from the bronze. Mm-hmm. Like it's a weird switch to go from season three when she's always on the run from faith and is actually wearing like athletic clothes, which makes sense because she's literally always running in Buffy versus Dracula. She's like, so like glammed up and in like those weird and her hair looks great (laughs) and her her naturally straight hair is like wavy like she was like i just giles just give me two hours and i will be ready (laughs) (laughs) listen i would probably do the same if i were slayer be like no i gotta look great i'm going out i might die so like i want to look good you know (laughs) i can't believe you think this is like fashion plate like i'm just thinking about willow's outfits in this episode like (laughs) i think those are I want to point out that the red jacket Willow wears gets like the appliques. Yeah, (laughs) it gets way more screen time than Adam does this season. Like she wears it in like five episodes. Um, Yeah, true. And it's a really weird, like reoccurring bit of clothing. I mean, they they do it sometimes on the show. Like there's a necklace Willow wears in most of season two. but, like, it's a weird thing that they keep bringing back. And I always wonder if that's, like, Alison Hannigan really liked that jacket or the costume designer was like, no, this jacket's pretty ugly and I want you to wear it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I sort of, I definitely see Willow as, as someone who just sort of, like, you know, throws on the thing that she is most comfortable in at any given moment. It, it's yeah. just strange that it's almost like how did she get get it to begin with? Like, yeah. when did when did that jacket enter the life? Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So wait, so we've gotten all over the place. So when he get mad at me so fast, (laughs) (laughs) Anthony, I adore you. Um, So Spike tries to mug Anya. I do love that scene. I I like when they can commiserate together, and then we get more of that after that. Um, Because I feel like they both do kind of read each other, but they're both accurate. Like she's like, Mm -hmm. oh, no wonder you're so friendless, and he's like, uh, so are you. And they're both right. Anya's kind of only part of the Scoobies because of Xander. Like, Buffy and Willow barely tolerate her. And by season seven, it's almost like, why is she there? But I love her, so I'm glad she's there. And then Spike, you know, like, no one really likes him. And I feel like Anya and Spike kind of understand each other, even if they don't quite like each other, but they understand. So I do appreciate that. They also have amazing chemistry together. They, right? Um, I mean, this is also not to... I feel like I'm bagging on this episode a lot. It's not... It just has some flaws that I don't understand why they were allowed. One of the big problems here is if you make, I mean, Buffy and Riley, their relationship has its charms, but it's not a relationship of like intense 
physical passion, you know, like right. I never am like, wow, the energy is just overwhelming me. Like you can't build an episode around their charisma together. <laughs> Whereas like if you were like Spike and Anya can't stop fucking, I'd be like, yeah, I can believe that. <laughs> like, <laughs> like in season six, Spike and Buffy can't stop fucking like that makes sense. That yes. was a yeah. bull. Like, it's become a joke, like, about how the house falls down around them. But, like, if you told me they, those two busted the house, I'd be like, I can see it, you know? Yeah. like, Yeah. Um, and I remember, like, yeah. I, I think the problem, I mean, that's one of the flaws of season four, I think, is, you know, the Adam, Adam doesn't have the impact they wanted him to, where, like, they try to build him up as though he's this big force against Buffy, like, almost like Glory. Whereas with Glory, it completely works, and you believe... That Buffy is tired, she's exhausted, she's beaten down. This, you know, villain is way stronger than her. With Adam, I never right. quite buy it. Also, she doesn't fight him enough. But also mm. with Riley, there's no... There's, like, no... And I do I do defend him a little bit. I think sometimes he has his charms. But I don't think they have great chemistry. No. It seems weird. Yeah, to, I mean, yeah. it's almost... Like, I always felt like the Riley arc was mostly about, like... This is actually something that if if she and Riley like ran off in the sunset together, it would be like it would almost be a slight it would be a more boring but more stable life than yeah. what Buffy's day to day life is. But then ultimately it's that that's not who Buffy is. She doesn't get to have that life, which is also where like wild animal passion doesn't really play into yeah. that. Yeah. Like yeah, it exactly. is it really is something where it's, you know, it's almost like a boring romantic th- like the boring version of a romantic dinner that's like, you know, really nice and you know it's really nice and you know your life would be more healthy if you had more of them. I could see Riley giving a lot of those. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's the, um, yeah. I mean, it's that, it's the every love triangle, right? Like Phantom of the Opera, you don't, you don't build a relationship, like you end up with Raul or like Twilight, like you don't build the sex plot around Jacob, right? Like it's, you're picking, you're, there's a boring one and the appeal is that he's boring. And even though Angel is like, it's sequential. We're always supposed to have Angel in the back of our minds. Like Buffy is finally going to have the boring relationship. And what's nice about it is that he's supposed to be stable. Yeah. And it's like, that's not the person as much as I love the shot of the bed where it like turns, like it keeps distancing and yeah. it's just like the black, like that's not what that relationship is. It feels like a misread Yes. Of even what that energy is supposed to be to make that the plot here. I also just want to interject. Are you implying that Jacob is the boring one over Jacob and Edward in Twilight? Yeah, like well, they're <laughs> I feel both, like I Edward's mean... a boring one. <laughs> Obviously, the point is that they're both boring, but like <laughs> Jacob is not ever going to fuck you to death, right? Like that is the point. Like Edward's danger. <laughs> I thought the point Edward... <laughs> was that Jacob would fuck you to death, and that she didn't want to die because he was a like werewolf that might murder her. I thought that was with the vampire. Honestly, I fell asleep every time I tried to watch that movie. I mean, I just, so, think, Taylor, I just think Taylor Lautner's hot, so whatever. What do I know? All I remember is when the three of them are in a tent, and I'm like, why don't these boys just go at it? They have way more chemistry together than... <laughs> like I said it the other day, but like Twilight is the meanest joke gays ever played on heterosexual. Um, <laughs> anyway... <laughs> It would be fun to rewatch now that, like, so many of them are out. Oh, I guess not all of them are out. I shouldn't say that. But, I yeah, uh... I think only Kristen Stewart's out, right? <laughs> okay, all right, never mind. We'll have to delay the release of this podcast So for we are getting months. very sidetracked, <laughs> Anthony. <laughs> you knew what you were getting when I, you asked I me did. to go up. <laughs> um, so then, so I have to say, Forrest getting annoyed at Riley annoys me, but also I know that I would be annoyed at Riley and Buffy. 
Like, oh my why God. aren't you just in fucking that... standing next to each other? Why are you just staring at each other from across the room with your group of friends? Like, just yeah. stand near each other. That's Didn't stupid. you see the nice pumpkin turtleneck that Forrest wore just for you, <laughs> Riley? Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know I've been spending all season trying to sell you on this, like, Forrest is in love with Riley thing, but, like, I mean, at I this point... It surely it must be obvious like that is his only plot this season is like yeah like sexual or not he is in love with riley it is like intense jealousy being expressed here yeah like buffalo oh, taking his place yeah speaking of forest why this is a note that i made why is this the second time why did they feel the need to repeat this that someone had to or chose to i guess say jump up grab a school banner and use it to put out the flames that just like <laughs> ran reverse onto someone because that happens in the witch in season one except <laughs> yes that's right it's like uh they're they're well known everyone in sunnydale takes a course where they're like <laughs> yeah there will always be a banner <laughs> decree it's a it's a 500 dollars fine if you don't have banners hanging up in your home in sunnydale um, and I also love that the guy who catches fire is like clearly a forty-five-year-old stunt man who's playing like who's playing a high, uh, university student. He's like, "Hey, Mason!" It's like, "What?" <laughs> Two heat generators pumping. Like, who talks like that? Like, <laughs> and it's like the money shot is the fire, and it's like, oh boy. <laughs> yeah. But so they're looking at each other from across the room. It's I I know that if I were friends with them, I'd be fucking annoyed. I'd be like, "Oh my god!" Like you two relax or just go fuck but like you're annoying me um no one's paying attention i do like that when xander's like is it just me am i crazy buffy goes uh-huh yeah um yeah it's because she's not paying attention um <clears throat> then we get more of anya and spike drinking together and i do genuinely love that um which feels like a predecessor to season six entropy where they eventually mm. do fuck because oh, you're right, right anthony they do have really good chemistry mm. Oh, how did they get this me going into one of those weird places again, but like, how did they buy a, a alcohol? Like Anya came back as a 16 year old, even if she manifested a driver's license, she'd only be like 18. Okay. But like at this point, would you check either of these actors IDs if they were like, I'm buying a drink? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I mean, I, I like the idea of like, it shows them relating to each other. And I like that. He's like, I'll stay drew. You eviscerate Xander. And she even mm-hmm. is like, oh, I can't. I care too much. Um, I really love her line where she says, I used to I used to eviscerate men. Now I can barely hurt his feelings. I really, I wish I had written that line. That's a good line. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then we get the introduction of that really stupid sex wall. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Where everyone's just touching it and having a great everyone's... time. Everything about that sex wall is just like very awkward and weird. Um. So, then, so the, I actually, I think you said this, Anthony, I do agree that, like, Tara yelling, don't touch me, that's disgusting at Willow, actually feels, like, pretty heavy for such, like, a throwaway, Right, like, and whatever. it's the thing the season never deals with. Like, I've, I've said, I'm gonna contradict myself, I've said before <laughs> that we don't need, we don't need, really, a Willow dealing with the fact that she's gay episode, because Buffy's, um... Buffy's like coming out narrative in season two for her uh, her slayerness is sort of metaphorizing all that coming out stuff. We know Willow's mom is extremely liberal minded. Like there's a kind of way that Willow wouldn't deal with this kind of trauma, you know, in the mm. way that Tara does. Like when we get Tara's coming out episode later in family where she's like her family's convinced her she's a demon. 
that's kind of work psychologically that Willow actually doesn't have to do, you know? And we skip it. Like, in the next episode, she doesn't really... When she comes out to Buffy about Tara, it's not like, oh my god, I'm a monster or anything. But, like, a good place for some of that to land would have been in this episode to sort of build the episode around the fact that Tara freaks out because she's under the influence of this house and then give me a few scenes where they talk about it, you know, so I'm ready for it next episode. Like, yeah, show me where they are. But instead, Tara runs off and then she just kind of comes back and she's like, I'm OK now. And it's like, well, what the what the fuck? <laughs> like, you have issues about this. I know you do because we find out about them later. Like, and, like it, it feels been nice. like even Willow should have taken pause to be like, what was that? Like, what happened? Yes. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. But I, I and I do, you know, to Allison and Hannigan's credit for such like a throwaway scene, her like face is a little heartbreaking. It's like, oh, mm-hmm. and especially because I mean, and I constantly forget watching this season. Like, I'm like, have they kissed? Like, are we supposed to Matthew and like a bunch of our other guests feel that they don't ever do anything until the end of New Moon Rising when Oz leaves and they blow out the candle and it's sexy and it's dark. Um, but I for me, that makes this almost more sad because it's like. Willow and her haven't even like been intimate, and Willow like touches her knee, and she. What do you out. guys? What do you guys think? Yeah. Are they? What is their relationship status right now? <laughs> I definitely buy that? that they haven't done anything yet. Okay. No, so they're yeah. they're chased still. They're figuring it out. Yeah. Salvatore, what do you think? Yeah, I I, I mean, it took Willow so long to get intimate with Oz, even. Um, That's true. E- even though they very, very early on in that relationship, they establish how strong their feelings are for one another. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I mean, I would believe that she's, you know, either a little bit nervous about taking that first step with, uh, with the same sex. But I would also just believe that like, she's the kind of person who like wants to make sure that like she understands her feelings because she is so scientific and methodical that she would want to wait, um, until she either like knew that she was over Oz or, you know, like I, I don't think calling Willow a lesbian was ever really the right way to go. I think that was, a, would have been a great time to explore bisexuality. Mm. Um, I, I get why they chose to do it at that particular time on television, but um, you know, it, there, there could the like the new moon rising episode the the struggle doesn't really seem to make sense at that point if you think the, the struggle she has connecting with Oz when he shows up, it doesn't really make sense if you think that Willow and Tara have been intimate all along. But mm-hmm. it also makes sense that she would have any struggle connecting with him if she was just a full-out lesbian. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I hadn't thought of it that way, that like New Moon Rising has no energy unless they haven't. It's sort of the Othello problem. Like If they just fucked, it would have been fine. But <laughs> But they haven't. So we're dealing with all this, like, psychic baggage. Right. Huh. Yeah, like, I don't know. I just, like, I wish the episode had given up some of that, like, I don't need the vine fight. I need to see Willow and Tara process this. Like, she should have gone upstairs, and instead of a boy being in the bathtub, it should have been Tara crying or something. Like, I needed a scene, and it's not here. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that, yeah. What I also don't understand, and this is like a note that's coming up. Well, actually, one that I have, this is more of a throwaway thing. But was Amber Benson wearing a wig? I couldn't tell if that was a wig. <laughs> um, that, that's not important. I just thought it was funny. But one of my things is like, why are the kids blue? What is that makeup? 
Like, what are they? And why wasn't this episode the opportunity to bring Marcy and all the invisible kids back instead of poltergeists that, like, they <laughs> ate? And it was just those people tormenting them until Willow was confronted with Marcy. Mm. I would have liked that. Mm. But so then we get the scene of Anya and Xander having their fight. Um, and I do, I, I mean, I think Emma Caulfield's so good. I love, <laughs> like, she's like, I'm going to go over here and have a great time. And he's like, her line reading of woohoo is yeah. like, oh, she teach a whole class. <laughs> <"Woo-hoo."> like, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I just put, I literally in my notes says Anya screaming me too. Woohoo is dot, dot, dot. Really good. I love her. <laughs> um, and I remember, so the first time I watched this episode, I remember when Xander goes to play Spin the Bottle, I remember, you know, me being like, is he going to kiss a boy? And being really excited. But, you know, yeah. sadly, none of that. Mm-hmm. Um, which would have been nice, but I mean, it also was TV in whatever year this one would have been. 19... 2000, right? Yeah. 2000, yeah. Yeah. So they... But again, would have been a great place to put that, like, energy. Like, have the bottle land with a boy and another boy, and then the bottle explodes. Because yeah. that's what the house is mad about, right? right. Like, it would have been nice to have that a bit more on the surface. Like, have the... Like, when the lady calls them dirty and, like, some particularly bad ones need baptism, that's where you put the bones of this stuff. Like, yeah. that should be where the, the queerness is the energy it's trying to suppress. Yeah. Um, well, Anthony, when they eventually do a Buffy revival and Joss hires both of us <laughs> to write for it. <laughs> sure, I'd be down. For, I mean, James, you've written horror stuff, right? Like, you did the... I yeah. read your... Const- is it Constantine or Constantine for you? I know that's a debate. Uh, it's, I grew up saying Constantine, but I know Alan Moore always said Constantine and the British writers yelled at me. (laughs) Yeah. Like, but, uh, you know, it's always going to be Constantine just because that's what I've said my entire life. But, um, I know that's wrong at the same time. (laughs) Um, I also, it's the same sort of, yeah. If you're listening to this, right. Oh, where do you land on that one? I've started saying Raish, but it's technically neither of them are correct because neither of them are actually like correct, like Arabic pronunciation. So it's like, it's kind of a moot point. It's like Raish al Ghul should be the correct oh. pronunciation, but nobody says that. Um, if you guys are listening to this, you should pick up James's run on Constantine. And it's also like, um, that's like, your story is also about like horror and queerness, right? Like what happens when, um, your queerness is sort of impinging on these horror elements. And it's like, I wish that was here, you know? Yeah, no, totally. And like, I mean, it's especially like I, I wanted to, like my run on Constantine definitely played with, and you know, and I say my run, but I was, I was writing it with Ming Doyle as well. And like, we, we had a lot of, and working with Riley Rossmo, a whole bunch of people, but it was like, we wanted to kind of capture a similar sort of like, you know, emotional camp horror, which is the same sort of place that uh buffy obviously really taps into um but it and which means that everything needs to sort of just reflect like the inner turmoil of the characters and all of that and i wanted to kind of you know do the standard do a story with john that plays against you know like it's the same it's the standard buffy lesson is you just do an emotional story about like a human being at a point in their life but then you throw in like monsters and ghosts and vampires like that is the like you know that is the the buffy thing um but 
yeah, I mean, in terms of the horror of this episode, like there are good pieces here that could be, but they need, they don't attach to anything, mm-hmm. and that's its big weakness. The story also loses its tension at the moment they they realize that there is a threat, but then they need to kind of pause the tension to go investigate and literally. Yeah. Like literally it's just, (laughs) yeah, they they go and then there's some funny bits and then they literally, like literally like hours must pass where like Buffy and Riley are like in potential mortal danger and neither the entire military facility directly under the base that now is aware of what's happening. They're not trying to do anything. And the Scoopies are just off like, you know, investigating without having gotten their friends out of trouble. Like, right. and so it's just like, why should we buy like that? Ten- mo- like it's yeah. Well, the moment that they catch Giles singing is like, I, I get what they were, but it, there's no urgency. Like they don't I stop love that moment. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll let him finish his set and then we'll just, we'll explain to him what's going on and <laughs> we'll figure it out. Yeah. And uh, also yeah. now that you mention it, they go to interview that woman, and she says she's awake because of early morning prayers. So it's been like eight hours, right? <laughs> like, like, what is the earliest you can be having early morning prayers? Like four thirty, like absolute earliest. So yeah, right. <laughs> it's been six hours or something. And what is the latest you could go on stage at a coffee club? You know? It's... Yeah, I, I actually put that like, how didn't they fuck to death in this episode? Because like, it's uh, how much time has passed. Right. Um, which is fine. Like, you can have a script that doesn't care about the yeah. real tension, right? Like, they've done that before. Like, yeah. they did that even this season with the episode where it's the end of the world. Uh, yeah. Actually, no, last season, the Zeppo. It's the end of the world. Well, actually, doomed in this doomed, season, yeah. too. Like, you can do an end of the world. You can have the stakes be really high in the universe, but not for the story. You can, like, yeah. foreground something else in the story. But it seems to want us to take seriously the threat of this house. Yeah. Whereas, yeah. like, why? You know, I don't care about these poltergeists. There's no spirit to save because they're just weird memories. So yeah, and they and they undercut themselves season. because they have they literally have uh, uh like they say when they all get out of the house and then Spike just sort of like leaves but they they literally say oh Buffy's going to be fine like and then they're just like all right <laughs> yeah. I guess we can just take our time like it needs solving but we don't need to be like you know yeah. urgent about it or And even like like the house is cleared like we know that poor Julie cuts off all her hair, has her Felicity moment, and then she runs away. She doesn't even have an exit line. She runs away. It's like, well, we could have at least left her in the house. Like We could have yeah. made there well, be someone who's a hostage to this who we know might die. Because we know Buffy and Riley aren't going to die, but like... Well, like Tara. Boy, it should have yes. been Tara. Yes. Well, the boy, best. Anthony, are you leading up to my answer to what would Dawn would have been doing in this episode? <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> um, but yeah, I... So I wanted to point out that when Xander meets Julie, isn't it really weird that they're looking at a trophy case, but we don't see the trophy case? Yeah, someone just... in props forgot to make the... Right, <laughs> the... and they were just like, well, we gotta film the part. Like, oh well. Because it looks like they're just staring at a wall. Um, yep. Like, I rewound yep. that scene at first because I was like, wait a minute, what the hell are they doing staring at a wall? And I was like, I also... oh right, they're talking about whatever's in this case that we're not seeing. I also made a note here that said, since when can Xander flirt? Mm. Mm-hmm. He's, he's always been completely hapless, and half the reason that he ends up with Anya is because she's so socially awkward, because she hasn't been human for thousands of years, that 
that that's that's how they bond. That's why it works. And then suddenly, like in one episode, they get into a fight, and he goes and meets a fairly attractive, clearly over thirty woman playing. <laughs> yes, yeah. <laughs> um, in a cardigan, like <laughs> in a cardigan. Though I did also say that her pink ombre sweater set is a second favorite outfit for this episode. <laughs> okay, I you've now you've guessed my favorite outfit, which is <laughs> post shaved head Julie in this. <laughs> cardigan like i just <laughs> so her, her bald cap like she has so much hair that bald cap she just looks like oh yeah an it's so big and she shaved some parts of her head so clean yeah yeah um, um also one thing i would have liked to make this if you wanted to differentiate this haunted house from the other one and could have excused some of the behavior is like well what if the house was making them immature then they would have had something like, then the spin the bottle would have made more sense. Then Buffy, like, being annoyingly obsessed with having sex with Riley and, like, pissing off Forrest would have made more sense. Like, if they were regressing, then you could have shown me, like, look how much, how far they've come since high school. Now they're at an adult party that is getting silly and high school-y. Yeah, but it doesn't right. do that either. It doesn't really explain. Like, Xander, it hangs a lantern on the fact that Xander finds the spin the bottle immature. Yeah, but none of the actors have lines, so I never know what's going on. Well, so right. it, so it's really weird because also when they when they're outside, Xander even or when they're about to go outside, Xander even calls attention to the fact that it's their second haunted house on campus. Yes, that's right. And it like right. it's that's very Buffy of them to like call attention to something campy they're doing, but it almost feels like too much because it's like, but it's not working that well in this episode. <laughs> Um, and I don't know if you all watch on Hulu, and I don't know if it's just Hulu, because that's the only way I watch it now, because I have the DVDs, but I don't have a DVD player. When Xander walks into the house, you see the cord attached to him that's about to pull him out, and it's, like, very oh. clearly there. Um, no. Oh, so you're watching in the fake widescreen. Yes. No, but I, 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 did, I did watch it on Hulu, and I, I think I forgot to make a, a note of it, but there was a line... I felt like they had cut a part of Willow's line that like nowadays would potentially be considered um, inappropriate somehow. And and now I'm kicking myself for not because I don't see it anywhere in these notes. Mm. But it's just like one of those things that I've watched these episodes so many times that, that you were, you, there's a ghost. There's a poltergeist yeah. of a memory <laughs> troubling you. <laughs> I, I always say in Doppelgang Land that there's a part that they cut that I swear was in it when they originally aired it. And I think it's on the DVDs, but I haven't watched them in so long because I haven't had a DVD player in so long. Mm -hmm. Um, Where when Willow says, I think I'm kind of gay, and Buffy kind of like steps over herself to be like, no, well, that was like a different you, blah, 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 wasn't really you. And Angel says something where he's like, well, actually, the vampire is a shadow of you, right? Yeah, yes, It, it, it it has all the memories, but for the most part, it's, never mind. Yeah, but yeah, that's like, that part's yeah. cut on Hulu. Um and like when yeah, they are yeah that's interesting right that's, yeah why would they that? because they don't want to imply willow is gay until she is i guess it's like yeah that's so weird oh my god i'm watching on netflix and it seems to be uh yeah, it's a, full screen and fully intact <laughs> in america it was taken off netflix unfortunately yeah. oh okay i was gonna say yeah we don't and and they had the american netflix had clipped up once more with feeling yes, yes. oh really yeah prior think- to it being Old, they had cut it they cut so much out of it like musical numbers yeah there's a, musical- there's a syndicated cut of once more with feeling and they yeah. probably just imported that yeah. one yeah um but okay so <laughs> then we do get them going to see giles and i do love that scene i do love 
I think it's cute, and it totally makes sense that Willow would have had a crush on Giles, and her being like, he's reminding me of why I used to have a crush on him. Um, and... But as Salvatore just said, it's a very strange beat to hit oh. right before we're about to watch her express herself as a lesbian rather than as somehow bisexual right like, i mean but like you know i have I, I could say the same thing about like certain I women so. well anyway <laughs> um <laughs> right well that's normal i mean i did this i actually earlier today was talking about fraser and how like part of the queer experience one of the reasons i identified with niles is like the imagining an unattainable woman is weirdly like a queer thing to do like you you love someone who is totally beyond your sphere because it makes it safe, you know? Like, there's no way you have to worry about it becoming real, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and what else? I'm trying to, like, go in order. Oh, um... His earring. His earring makes an appearance. Oh, yeah. Giles is wearing his little uh, piercing while he's singing Behind Blue Eyes, which I've had in my head ever since I watched it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then we get... they, <laughs> Then they're in the library, and I actually really like the exchange... Um, Giles says, in the midst of all that, do you really think they were keeping it up? And then they just show, like, Xander look at him, and Willow and Tara glare at him, and he's like... And he's, I forget what he says, but he says something like, um, oh, I wish for a different change of... Like, different, like, word choice or something like that. Um, it's very Buffy. Um, and then they go see... Which one of you said, is this woman from the West Wing, Mrs. Holt? Oh, it was, yeah, Mrs. Lanningham. Okay. Uh, from the West Wing. I never um, watched the West she Wing. She was... West Wing's great, uh, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't know, I, I love the character actress, I forget her actual real-life human name, but uh, <laughs> she, she is very good, and it's nice, it's fun seeing her play this kind of campy role, but it's just like, it's also bizarre because it's just so, like, it needs to, the scene needs to establish what's happening so quickly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, and then just get, get the hell out of there. So it's just like, here I'm like, you know, kooky religious woman, and here's my <laughs> secret dark side. And they're all like, okay, all right, we got it. Now let's go. Like, there's right. no, like, threat coming for him or anything. It's There is, like, a long speech from Giles chastising her for what she's done, and it's like, and okay, he says but... she's gonna pay, and she never does. Yes. The real yeah, enemy yeah. is man, et cetera, et cetera, but, like, there's no payoff for this woman, and, like, no one agrees with her, so, like, what was the point of this episode? Like, who learned a lesson? Like... <laughs> Um, yeah, it's, yeah. That's, if all the if all the poltergeists just appeared around her at the end, and that was the cutaway, it would be more satisfying. Yes, yeah, yeah. Like even uh, just you're right, James. Like a a one like second throwaway scene of that would have been okay. At least it was a little bit gratifying. Like she got yeah. to come up and. Or you know what? You know how I would have liked it. Like okay, let's go with James' idea. Let's put Tara in the house. She's hostage, and give Willow that speech. Give Willow the castigating speech. So she's like angry because Tara's a Tara's a hostage. She's still processing the fact that the last time she saw her, Tara said she was disgusting. And then we could have Willow like sort of exercise that energy by yelling at this woman, and then have the like rescue operation. And then we're ready for New Moon Rising. You know, like yeah. that would have worked better for me. Although then you would have to lose behind blue eyes. So <laughs> and I don't want to lose that. I really don't. I do love <laughs> like you're all right. Like it. What are they doing? They're spending so much time, like, walking around Sunnydale while their friends are fucking to death. And it's like, <laughs> everyone needs to speed it up. I mean, they end up being fine, so I guess they didn't need to speed it up. Um, but I do love, I just love that. <laughs> um, I love that they see him. I love that he's, it's like a, 
a reason for them to show that Anthony Stewart head can sing. Yes. Um, and it just works for me. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but and... also, why why would they if 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 there's any urgency why do they go to a second location to explain <laughs> what's happening yeah like they're in a coffee shop there are tables around they could just sit at a table there because it's not like there are like other people in the background when they get to the library like aren't there like they're not secluded in the library are they no no yeah right. yeah so it's like it's not like hit they're hidden oh, hidden away from like <laughs> having these conversations around normal people like i don't know yeah I he mean, also doesn't give them any information they don't have right like they are the ones who know to like willow finds the lowell house thing herself and then goes to the lowell school for girls woman so like all he knows is what a poltergeist is really <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean well he helps them with the spell i guess that's kind of like the point where he helps them um yeah, but the and spell it, doesn't do anything. That's true. I, but he helps they think it's going to. So that's like, <laughs> that's another, that, we're, we're going to get to that in one second. But I do want to point out that in my notes, I have in all caps, Buffy and Riley are still having sex, like in the midst yes. of all this. And yeah, I, it doesn't really give urgency. Um, I do like, so then they do the spell and I kind of like that it doesn't work. I feel like that's a very Buffy thing to be like, oh, we have to do this thing. This is going to save the day. And then it doesn't work. Anya and Xander kind of saved the day just by like being annoyed and Anya's had it with the house's mm. bullshit and that's what saves the day. I like that when they give their spell that Willow's like transform your pain, release your past and uh get over it. I put like really killer spell Willow. Giles and Tara also have really good <laughs> tender speaking voices when they're doing these spells. I was like Amber Benson should do like a ASMR lullabies or something. I probably said that to go to sleep. And I love, I just, I, I like, I mean, I love Anya, so I like that this this version of Anya that we get here reminded me of um, Anya and the Gift, when she's, like, just throwing out ideas, and she's, like, here to help, want to live. Um, and it's one of my favorite <laughs> Anya moments. Um, she also gets stabbed through the hand in the middle of this episode. It's like, yes. why does that happen? She not only gets stabbed through the hand, she... Her hand. she gets, What's that? She's not concerned enough about that. Yeah, like, yeah, that like... hurt a lot. <laughs> It's like an inch around, right through her hand. She have that, like that. She, yeah. Would she ever recover from that? Like that's insane. <laughs> and she gets thrown off the like second story, and like Jeez. only half of her lands on that couch. Um, <laughs> like Anya's like Anya's had it with this house's bullshit. She's getting her ass kicked, but she's like still chopping through those vines. Which mm -hmm. also brings us to the fact: why the fuck are there so many vines? They never explain the vines, right? There's no correlation between what happened with the kids and these random vines, other than, like, the title of the episode implies, like, wild things. So, like, sure, mm. I guess. I do love Anya and Xander finally opening the fucking door and then just being, like, looking at each other, annoyed, and then just walking away. Um, that's a very... if That feels very Buffy to me, and I love that. Um, yeah. Like, oh, we saved the day, but we're still fucking annoyed, and Buffy doesn't get it yet, so let's just leave, because whatever. Um, so then when they're wrapping it up, I felt like Buffy... I feel like everyone was a little bit harsh about the fact that Giles was singing. Um, <laughs> like, can he not live his life? <laughs> right. Well, they're learning he's a person, right? Yeah. That's sort of yeah. the point. 
And then Riley says, good thing no one was hurt. And I put in my notes, but Anya was stabbed with that <laughs> vine. Like Xander has a visible scratch across his face. Yeah. Like, and Julie lost that hair. Like, yeah. And that bottle exploded. <laughs> Julie's got a... Yeah, those people all full of glass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Some uh, of them might be blind. Look, yeah, oh, that's right. In the, <laughs> like, right in the, in the shot, just is holding his eyes. <laughs> but, uh... So are we at the end, Anthony? I think we're at the end, right? I think that's that's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, such um, as it is. <laughs> um, so favorite outfit, Salvatore. I mean, as ridiculous as it is, my favorite outfit is the the cable knit sweater with snakeskin pants. <laughs> James, your favorite outfit. Well, I I was also going to go with the opening Buffy outfit, um, but since that's been taken and covered, I guess I did appreciate the scene where Riley was walking around with no clothes on, um, which I don't oh, know yeah. if it counts, but hey. hey it's a great outfit. We're, great very, we're very open to going outside <laughs> the box here. Um, Anthony? My favorite, I have a tie for my favorite look. Uh-oh. Um, one is uh, Forrest's hideous oversized orange turtleneck that he wears that even though he has the world's like most perfect body still somehow manages to swallow his head i think that's amazing um and his like light 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 jeans that he's wearing to this party uh and my but i think my most favorite look is uh julie post makeover where she's got like these mostly bald but she's got little tufts of hair and under it is like her sensible pink ombre cardigan I think that that is the fiercest fucking look <laughs> all season. Like, she looks like Sasha Velour. That's, that's what she looks like. <laughs> uh, okay, so mine actually is just, I really like, Anya wears this like cute flower print cardigan while she's in the ice cream truck. Oh yeah, she does. It's really cute. I think yeah. it's cute. Yeah. Um, okay, favorite scene, James. Um, I, I mean, I really like hearing Anthony Michael Head sing. Like, you know, I don't think that scene made any sense, but <laughs> I appreciated it. And I mean, yeah, that, I think that would probably be my favorite scene of the, the episode. All right. All right. Um, Salvatore? I, I'm, I, there, I just, I have so many. The only reason this is not my least favorite show or episode in the entire series is because gingerbread exists. I so, love gingerbread. How dare you? Yeah. Anthony, <laughs> Anthony was on for gingerbread. <laughs> um, so I, I really just like the first scene because it's the only thing that has anything to do with anything else that's going on and everything else is just, everything else that happens in the episode just makes me question, I don't know, I, 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 well, the, what we've said this whole time. <laughs> what the hell is going on in this episode? Fair, fair. Um, Anthony? Uh, my favorite scene is on the stairs when... Willow tentatively touches Tara's hand and Tara says, don't touch me, that's disgusting. Because I think that that's, that's what the episode should have been about. And it's, like that's the, the kernel at the center of it. That like It's about sexual anxiety as an episode, even though it doesn't seem to understand that that's what it's about. And I think that that's the only authentic scene in the episode. So right. there's a better episode that could have been built out of that moment. So I, I, that's my favorite scene. All right. Uh, my favorite scene is Ani and Xander in the ice cream truck. Um, <laughs> and what do we think Don would have been doing, Anthony? Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> Don, jeez, oh, that's a tough one. Like, 
There's not a lot of places to... Okay, if it's an episode about... Let's reverse engineer this. If it's an episode about sexual anxiety and sexual immaturity, then Dawn is the one who says, hey, let's spin the bottle. (laughs) And then she also is, like, sent home after the frat party goes wrong. I don't think she has a place... Okay, no, I'm changing my answer. Dawn is trying (laughs) to buy an ice cream cone. That's what Dawn's doing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, James? Uh, I, I would say that that story would be a, I want to go to the frat party. No, you're not allowed to go to the frat party. She gets into the frat party. Everything starts going wrong. And so she's trying to escape the frat party without being noticed by any of the Scoobies. Like, and so it would be kind of a comedy of errors of her, like, mm-hmm. you know, trying to sneak past them to, you know, and oh. also not get killed by poltergeists. <laughs> yeah, I think that's what it would have been. What if she's trapped in the bathroom with Tara and that's the first time they meet and they like bond and then we could have like a Aww. friendship starting to develop here. Aww. That could be fun. I would like that. Um, Salvatore? <laughs> I, I mean, how old is Dawn at this point? I forget how old she is when she's introduced in season five. Well, so the thing I that I always forget and I have to remind myself and like guess sometimes is that she's actually not that much older, that much younger than them because by season five, they're only 19 and she's right. like 15 or 14. She's I like just, a tween right now. I don't understand how she would have gotten to the frat party. Like I get in season five, Buffy moves back home. And so that's sort of like, it's so easy as a parent to pawn the youngest off on the oldest who can take care of themselves. But with Buffy living on campus, did Don walk there? <laughs> Who knows where? I mean, Sunnydale is a strange place. There's an international airport somewhere. So. Yeah. <laughs> I've always looked at season... I think it's another one of the reasons that I don't like season four is that her family is not really important, which is the whole reason she had to leave Los Angeles in the first place. It's like the, the connection between her and her mom has always been so important. And then in season four, it's like, enjoy college. Mm. You don't really have any money, but dorm 15 minutes away, sure. Well, I mean, they kind of, it feels like they, just Buffy can't drive. Like, that's like, we know she can't drive. So it feels like they walk a lot in Sunnydale. Um, Does a 13-year-old Dawn get to when her sister has almost died so many times as a singer? Listen, I don't know. It's it's also a TV show, so I believe that a 13-year-old could sneak out. I think she would have snuck out, snuck into the frat house been captured and they would have there would have been like a bunch of hilarious scenes where they're trying to do backflips to not tell dawn that it's because of the sex her sister's having um and there would have been a lot of like awkward xander and willow moments of them being like well buffy's captured in that room but well you can't go in there and like them using silly metaphors for sex and then maybe at the end of the episode dawn's like i know you guys were having sex um so now we've come to the end where we graded the episode uh, Salvatore, what do you grade this episode? Oh, it's an F. <laughs> oh, <laughs> shit! <laughs> um, Anthony? Uh, I mean, I'm not... I'm annoyed by its weaker moments. I, I, I want to fix it. So I'm gonna go, like, a B-. minus. Okay, that's fair. James? I'll go in the middle there. I'll go C. It's still an episode I enjoy watching yeah. because it's so ridiculous. Like... And it's fun to kind of pick apart, um, which some, you know, some bad episodes are not even fun to pick apart. I would give it a C. That's my grade too, James. Um, I also give it a C. Thank you guys for being on. Thank you everyone for listening. If you want to follow our podcast on Twitter, we are at SlayerFestX98. 
If you'd like to follow me on Twitter, I am at Ian X Carlos. Anthony, where can they find you? Uh, I am Mia Koopa on Twitter, uh, or you can follow the Devil's Party podcast on patreon.com slash Mia Koopa. We're talking about Paradise Lost. Actually, I just finished talking about Moloch, the the demon that ends up being in Buffy season one. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of the show's only weird moments where it includes a Christian demon. Wait, I didn't realize uh, that. That's like a legit... Like yes. Yeah. Demon. Moloch. Moloch is in Paradise Lost. He is the eater of children, which is why he's like seducing all those kids in season oh. one of Buffy. It's one one of the show's only mo- flashes of Christianity before it decides it's actually like a Lovecraftian universe instead. Oh, weird. Anthony, I'm, yeah, I'm always like, oh wow, like you always when you're on, you're always like dropping these mythological <laughs> facts, and I'm like, hmm, I don't know a thing. Um, and Salva- well, you can listen to the podcast and find out. Yes. Um, Salvatore, where can they find you? Um, I am at Salvatore on Twitter, but the O is an underscore. Okay, and James, where can they find you? I am James the Fourth, all spelled out on Twitter, and uh, you can find me at the, your local comic shop Yay. in Detective Comics, coming out every other week, and, <laughs> and a bunch of it. other stuff that I'm not going to list. <laughs> oh, buy his Constantine! If you're listening to this, pick up his Constantine. It's amazing. Um, all right, guys. Well, thanks so much, and we'll see everyone next week. Bye. Bye.